0: This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. And as we get started, uh, let me tell you two things that need to happen every week if this time, the, the preaching time, is going to be at all effective. Uh, Number one, I need to be small and Jesus needs to be big. If you get more of me and less of Jesus, that's a colossal failure on my part. I can help with that one to some degree. So that's number one. I'm small up here. Jesus is big. Now the second one, that's entirely a work of God. If this time is to be at all effective, it's God who has to give eyes to see and ears to hear his word. Now, I can ask him for that, but outside of trying to be as clear as I can, as faithful to the Bible as I can be, I can't give people, I cannot give you a spiritual understanding of what's happening here. I certainly can't give you an effective understanding measure of new life, which is what you and I both need. I can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. So my preaching prayers are actually relatively simple. More of him, less of me, and give these people ears to hear and eyes to see because if if the people hear me and see me, And we've all missed it entirely. We need to hear from God and we need to see him. I'm conduit. He's the source. And the reason I start there is because that's what the middle part of John chapter 4 is telling us. There is physical sight. There's things you hear with your ears. And then there is spiritual sight. And there are things that you will only hear and truly understand if God gives you grace to receive them. We desperately need spiritual sight. And when we receive it, it's only the work of God, and it's only because of what Christ has done in our place. So John, the writer of this gospel, has been building toward this revelation since he opened the book. We're in the middle part of chapter 4, but all the way back in in verse uh, verse 18 of chapter 1, he said that no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, being this Jesus, has made him known. In other words, and this is the first step to spiritual sight, you have to know that when you see Jesus, you are seeing God. He's not part of God. He's not a little bit of God. He's not kind of like God. He is fully God. But, and and this is deliberate, most of the people up until this point, so we said that in 118, but most of the people in the gospel that we've encountered so far, sort of, as you'd say, the characters of the story, haven't known what they're truly looking at. So we've read about a bunch of people who've seen Jesus but they haven't yet known that he is God. So let me just run through a few of them. In chapter 2, Jesus is at the, the temple, and he is confronted. He's causing a commotion, and he's confronted by the temple authorities. And they ask for a sign that would sort of validate him. And he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, he's talking about his coming death and resurrection, that he's going to die and three days later be raised to death. But the temple authorities, they can't see that. They don't hear that. They think he means the temple that they're standing in. And so the the Jewish leader's response is to say, how could you possibly rebuild this temple in three days? It took decades to build the first time. They They don't have eyes to see or ears to hear who it is that's right in front of them or what he is saying. Uh, that's a group. The next one that we get in John's Gospel is a, a specific teacher named Nicodemus. And he comes to talk personally with Jesus. And when Nicodemus is told by Jesus that it's not something he must do to enter the kingdom of heaven. He must actually be born again. Nicodemus' mind goes to, infant, goes to the infant birthing process. So he asks about the womb and the birth canal. Jesus means spiritual birth. But even this smart, educated, influential Nicodemus can't see past the physical. Now, earlier in this chapter... Jesus began talking to a Samaritan woman while they were both at a a well. Jesus tells her that she can drink water from the well and she'll be thirsty again, or he can give her some water that will make it so she will never thirst again. And while she does want it, she says, okay, okay, give it to me, her response still shows that she doesn't quite understand what it is that Jesus is offering her. She wonders... How can you give me this water? You didn't even bring a bucket. Now, now what we're going to do is we're going to pick it up while this woman's response is still ongoing. Because here's here's the difference. At least to start, she doesn't understand what Jesus is offering her. Really, she doesn't understand that Jesus is offering her himself. But she begins to see this, and her response is markedly different from anybody else that we've seen so far in the gospel. And what John is showing us, what we need to grasp here, is this response of the woman is critical in drawing a contrast for us as readers to see first the temple authorities they didn't understand. Then it's Nicodemus, who's called the teacher of God's people. He doesn't get it. And what we're going to read in actually just a minute is even the disciples that were with Jesus don't understand what's being revealed to them right now. But through this woman's encounter with Jesus, a Samaritan, a woman with a sordid, difficult past, she is the one who begins to see Jesus for who he truly is. And in her response, we see the beginnings of spiritual sight, We see what she hears, she hears with spiritual ears, and then we get an understanding of what discipleship of Jesus, what following Jesus begins to look like. So it's this woman, actually, who's held out as the one who sees, as the one who hears and responds to and receives the life that Jesus has come to give. Now, now what we're going to read this morning breaks down into three parts. And I'll point out the movements, uh, but I think this actually makes sense to just kind of handle as a whole, because what God is orchestrating and what Jesus is working towards, and what John is queuing us up for in the writing of this is one interconnected idea, and that is to say that if we hope at all, and we should. To follow Jesus, it's only going to be because God has opened our eyes and God has given us ears to hear his word. We need a deeper understanding. We need to see the deeper dimension of what's at work, and only God can do that. So that's the one interconnected idea. Let's look at John chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. 27. Follow along in your Bible as I begin reading. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one in the rack in front of you. It's black, it's hardback. You can take that one home if you don't have a Bible that you like reading at your house. So John 4, starting at verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. Okay, really quick, set the stage. Back from where? Uh, They're in this region of Samaria, which Jewish people looked down on. Really, it's probably more fair to say they look down their noses on. And they are near a town called Sychar. Jesus is outside the city near a famous well. This is where he meets the woman. And the disciples didn't know any of this conversation that I just kind of teed up for us was happening, that Jesus was talking with this woman at a well about living water that comes from him. Because they've gone into the town, into Sychar, to buy food. So now they are back. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah? They went out of town. And we're coming to him. And so let's stop there. We, we, we need a chance to get our bearings. This is one of the first breaks. Now we're going to go into a middle part that's kind of an explainer. And the townspeople are going to come back at the end. So what's just happened through the, the few words that Jesus has exchanged with this woman is she is moved from being surprised that, that he would even talk to her She's a woman, she's a Samaritan. Jews often had no dealings with Samaritans, especially men with women who they were married to. And so she is surprised that he would even engage her. Then she's confused about his identity. He begins to tell her a little bit about himself and what he offers, but she doesn't understand it. Then she becomes intrigued by what he had to say because he knows details about her past that there's no way that he could have known unless he was some man of God. And now she's sure that he is somebody very, very special. And that all happened actually in just, just a few mere minutes. This is why all the people that have met Jesus so far in this gospel, of all those people, John is commending this woman. Jesus has been seen by hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He's talked to many people. He's engaged with many people. He's had public conversations. He's had private conversations. Of all the people in the gospel, there's John the Baptist, who was one to prepare the way, and then there is this woman. Kind of today we'd say some random woman who's at a well, and she is the one who, who truly sees and hears Jesus. And and you can see it in her response. She leaves her jar. That's the whole reason she came out. And so she's just abandoned her purpose for the trip. And she can't wait to bring more people to meet Jesus. So that's our kind of first break at the end of verse 30. The woman goes to bring more people back with her. And and they come. But that's what verse 30 says, and then in verse 31, it picks up a different section by saying, meanwhile. So while the woman goes into town to bring others back, the disciples will ask questions that, again, they're going to display, even for the disciples, you find this in the Gospels, the disciples are often held up not as your ideal spiritual leaders, but as those who stand in for just regular people because they don't see Even though they're walking around with Jesus, they don't see what this woman has just in a few minutes seen. So with the woman, it was water. Now it will be with the disciples, food. But really, as we read this, just kind of setting all this up for you, really, it's the same thing. It's water with the woman. It's food for the disciples. It's all the same thing. There's something deeper being offered by and through Jesus. For the woman... For the disciples, for the, these Samaritans who are going to come out, the, the, the people of Sychar, he's right in front of them. Now, as we read this, we need, to get something cl- we need to get something straight. He was right in front of these people. They could see him. But we're talking about spiritual sight. He was right in front of them. They could hear him. But we're talking about spiritual hearing, spiritual ears, Friends, Jesus is no less present, visible, or even I would say, I'll say audible, but what I mean is we can hear him through his word no less today, right now, than these people were standing right in front of him. Because we're not talking about physical sight. And we're not talking about literal hearing. We're talking about spiritual understanding. We're talking about, the, we're talking about the deeper dimension of what's being held out here. And so we should not say, well, of course, they would get it. Jesus was right in front of them. Folks, this is all about who Jesus is, and Jesus is alive, and Jesus is present among us. So you can hear, and I can hear from Jesus, just like these people, right here, right now, on this day. So let us not only think of the physical, but let us see the spiritual. And so here's the questions. Listen to how the disciples do not get this, but let us learn and get it. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, remember, water, food, same thing. I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, "Has anyone brought him something to eat?" You see what you see. What's happening? It's it's again. It's this is the same thing. He's saying there's a spiritual nourishment possible, but all the disciples can manage to think the the only plane that they're thinking on is where did he fa- manage to find a meal out here? Did, did somebody else bring him me, a meal? Did he did he? eat something himself did he go into town somehow did we miss him in town no jesus is talking about something spiritual so he says to them let's pick it up again where we got to camp out in this next phrase for a little while because this is this is the key phrase he says to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work this is an odd thing to say we need to spend kind of the majority of our time here Uh, On my first read-through of this, I thought, what is he saying? And why is he being so cryptic about it? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. But then when I dig a little bit in here, not only do I think Jesus is saying a great deal, but I, I don't think he's being cryptic at all about it. In fact, I think if we just apply what John has been showing us, what Jesus is saying, what he means, actually becomes very plain. So the point of all this is is to see what's deeper, the spiritual meaning beneath what's physically apparent. And to do that here, we need to ask two questions. First, what is food for? And second, when has God supplied it to do his will? Those are the two questions. What is food for and when has God supplied it to do his will? So first first one's easy. Food is for strength. It's for nourishment. Like water, we need food to live and to do the things that we're supposed to do. So the first thing that Jesus is saying is I am strengthened By doing the will of him who sent me. Another way of saying that would be to say it's nourishing to him. It's sustaining to him. It's life to him to do the will of his father. And this is a statement of connection. The closeness between God the Father and God the Son is being explained here. Uh, have you ever liked doing something so much that you forgot to eat while you were doing it? Or, or, or rather, you'd rather do that thing than you would eat? And like, some of you are like, yeah. And others of you are like, what? How could you ever want to do something more than you could want to eat? Um, so, so get what's happening here, though. As a man, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He has to eat. He does have to eat. He's not saying, I don't need to eat. What he's saying is, I like doing the Father's will more. There are two or three things that I like to do drives my wife insane more than eat. Because I'll just be like, no, let's keep going. One is when I love to work in my yard. And uh, I will just skip lunch and she will get hungry because I'll just, come come, come out and work in the yard with me and, and we'll skip lunch. Uh, sometimes I do it when I'm, when I'm doing sermon prep. Uh, other times uh, would be, there are, there are a few other things. You don't, you don't need to know all of us. But there are a few things that I like to do more than I like to eat. And, and I'm what like just yuppie would be considered a foodie. I love food. I love to eat and I love good food. But there are a few things. And so when Jesus says, I have food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Kind of, I have other food. Again, he's not saying, I don't need to eat. He's saying, I like doing the Father's will even more than I like eating. Now, there's a second question, and that really opens this up for us. When, that question is when, so now we're looking for a point in time or a place in history. When has God supplied food so that his will might be done? The answer to that is Deuteronomy 8.3. And I think it's very clear that this is what Jesus has in mind when he says this. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you, speaking to the nation, and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Manna was food supplied daily in the wilderness, in the desert, by God to his people. I fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That last phrase, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, that's what we ultimately live by. We live by God's word ultimately and eternally. Food is good. The word of the Lord is ultimate. So there's a greater fulfillment in doing God's will than in anything the disciples can go and pick up in town. That's what Jesus is saying. And this vision of his mission, in his interconnectedness with the Father, that's a dominant vision for John in this gospel. He brings it up over and over and over. With the cross coming, when we're a little closer to it, Jesus is able to say, I glorified you on earth, talking to the Father, having accomplished the work you, Father, gave me to do. That's John 17, 4. And that work is to give eternal life. Here's another one. John 12, 49 and 50. There Jesus says, the Father has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So that's why Jesus can later then say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Listen to that again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not even I just give life, I am life. He gives it. But it's more accurate to say he is life. And that even is kind of a strange statement in its own right, but I I think it captures what Jesus is saying. He doesn't just give food. He doesn't just give water. He is himself the food. He is himself what we drink to never thirst again. Not Not physically, but spiritually. This is why later... He will take bread at the supper with his disciples. He'll break it and he'll give it to them saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. It's not literally his body at the supper, but he's going to give up his body so that they can live. He is to them life. Life is only found in him. And this is where I have to be less And I have to hope that God gives us sight. Unless you see that, unless you see that that's what Jesus has done for you, you can't have life in him. Unless you believe that he's fed you, not just with food, but with himself, his very being, he's given himself unto death so that you could be brought to life. God has to grant you to see that. I think there's a way that I, I can get us started on that. I'll get to that in a minute. But it only works if you are willing. And even that willingness comes from God. You have to be willing to see that. I can get us started. I can tell us a few things, and I will, that we can do. But it has to start with God. So I'm going to do that in a minute. But before that, let's, let's finish out this section. There's actually quite a bit to go. If you're kind of doing the verses and going, we got a long way to go. I can do this really. I'm going to do this really quickly. So verse 35 verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? A question from Jesus. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So this is kind of the end of, of section number two. The townspeople are going to come back, but here what Jesus is saying, kind of finishing out his explanation to his disciples, he's saying that was once, what was once a promise has now become a reality. I think he's referencing the prophet Amos. In Amos 9.13, the prophet says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Plowing is what you do before you plant the seed. Reaping is what you do after. But the plowman is going to overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes will overtake him who sows the seed. What Amos was looking forward to was a day when all the waiting would be over And the promises of God would be fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, that day is now. For thousands of years, the Jewish people looked forward to the day of salvation. Now Jesus has come. The day of salvation is today. Today. And this just isn't communicating openness. As if to say that that life in God, that, that true life in abundance is a possibility. Kind of an open invitation, but who knows if anybody will accept it. This is urgency. The time is now. The sower and the reaper have been joined together. The one who sows reaps. So imagine a field where you throw out the seed and it's so, immediately, it's so immediate that you need to go harvest the crop as soon as the seed hits the ground. This is a paradigm shift for the people of Israel because they had gotten so used to waiting. Folks, it needs to be a paradigm shift for us too because we are so often complacent in our waiting. We are so often complacent in our living because most days feel like the day that came before, and we think that tomorrow will probably be about the same. We always think that we have more time. We always think that we can, some other time, get ourselves together, make things right. So, I don't, I don't want to scare you. I don't want to scare you into the kingdom of God. I don't want to scare you in, in, into looking at Jesus but the invitation of Jesus when it's sown is meant to be reaped right away. Don't make the mistake of thinking that I'll get serious about Jesus later, sometime when I'm older, when I have a little bit more time. Uh, First, who knows how much time any of us have left. Two, uh, I'm 41 years old, to some of you that's young, to some of you that's old. Here's what I know. The longer you live your life, the harder it becomes to live it another way. Another way just to say that is change is hard. If your plan is to change your life later, it only gets harder from today. The sower and the reaper have been brought together because the day of salvation is now. If you haven't received christ as lord and savior today is the day for you if you have do not let it go more and more days thinking that i will enter seriously into this salvation but probably tomorrow and i love verse 38 i sent you to reap for what you did not labor I think the context here is is first immediate. In just a moment, the people of Sychar are going to to come out, and it seems like many will believe in Jesus. The disciples didn't do anything. They were in town buying food. But they're going to get to participate in this little revival in this town. But the broader picture for us here is the true sower and the reaper is Jesus. He's uniting the two in himself, and he still does that today. He invites his people into being a part of reaping what we haven't sown. Salvation is not ours to give, nor do we bring people into it. He is the one who went to the cross. He's the one who endured shame. He's the one who died and defeated death. He rose to life. but we get to reap that. We get to reap the salvation that he has bought. We get to reap the new life that is his, that he has earned. And then we get to go other people, tell other people about that and invite them into life, not in us, but in him. We can actually walk around handing the grace of God out so freely that we can say that no matter what your sin is, No matter what your past is like, no matter how you walked in, the death of Jesus is big enough to cover that. And the grace of God will put whatever your past is onto Jesus and it will carry it far away from you. When you repent and believe in the name of Jesus, that's what happens. And in verse 38, it's saying, we can tell everybody about that we can participate in reaping something that we had no part in sowing. And that's a glorious truth. And that's what the woman at the well did. So listen to the rest of these verses and then some things about how we can cultivate this, I think. John four thirty nine. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Wow, revival breaks out in in Sychar. That's how you bring people to Jesus. This woman gets discipleship you tell people what he did for you and then you invite them to see him for themselves and so i started this by saying i can't make anybody see that i can't make anybody hear the good news of jesus that's true though i think there are some things that i can do to nudge you in the right direction And for all of us, I think there are, I would just call this kind of like habits that we can cultivate that will give us spiritual sight, spiritual hearing. And the first one, so I'm just going to give us three. First, you can pray and ask God to give you spiritual sight. If you wonder, how do I have this? Pray and ask God to give you this spiritual sight. That's a prayer He's always going to answer. God is never going to say, No, you may not see me. I don't want that. He will always, when you pray and ask to see Him, He will reveal Himself to them. Now, God opens people's eyes in different ways at different times. But he's not, this is a double negative, he's not, not going to open somebody's eyes who wants to see him. So God's never going to turn people away who are truly looking. And you might say, well, I know a lot of people that haven't truly seen God. They've heard the gospel, but they haven't truly seen God. That's because they ultimately don't want to. The reason that many people don't have eyes to see and ears to hear is because they simply are closed off to that. This has everything to do with our desire to see and listen, not God's, desire, not God's ability to speak to us. He can speak. Nothing will stop that. So ask God for this. So first, pray, ask God for spiritual sight. Second, you have to be willing to receive spiritual sight the way that God has told us He gives it, and that comes through his word, and then where the word is rightly understood and practiced and taught, it comes through his people. So if you say, I want to know God. I want to have life in him. I want to live in him forever, but you don't want to follow Jesus, and you don't want to listen to him, and you don't want to submit yourself to him, then your desire isn't for God. It's for appeasement or maybe for your own peace of mind, but it's not for God. God gives grace to the humble. And something that probably needs to be said here is if you feel like you just don't know much of God or his ways, just kind of pointedly, the very first question I will ask is how often are you reading your Bible? What's your prayer life like? Are you meeting with other Christians to encourage one another and grow in grace together? If your answer is, I don't read the Bible a lot, I don't pray much, and I just don't really value my time with other believers, I'm going to say, you know, I don't know if you really are receiving all the gifts that God's given you. I don't know if you're open to that. Last thing. If you're asking God to, to satisfy spiritual hunger... Asking him to be our food, we have to be satisfied in him alone. There are all kinds of ways to satiate your hunger. If I'm hungry, I have a lot of options. I can hit a drive through. And I can slam a greasy cheeseburger. And I like a greasy cheeseburger twice as much as anybody else in this room. So let's not hear me saying that I don't like cheeseburgers. That's one way, but probably not a great way to truly eat. Shoving something in your face while you drive down the highway is not a satisfying meal. Uh, You can reach for something sugary, got a bunch of empty calories, and sugar will make you feel full right away. Blood sugar spike, whatever, but in, I don't know what, 20, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, the crash is coming, you will be hungry again. You feel really full right away. Or you can eat something, good protein, good nutrients, and that's going to fuel your body for hours ahead in the Christian life, it's the same thing. If your spiritual life, if your spiritual habits are quick hit drive-throughs that you're just kind of shoving in while you're doing other stuff, while you're on the way to someplace else, while you've got a million other things going in your mind, you're not going to be eating satisfying meals and truly nourished. Really, you're not seeking to live in god he's not your food same thing for that quick snack Uh, do you have this happen if i'm hungry like really hungry i need to eat a meal like not a snack snacks don't do it for me when i'm really hungry for for years my mother would say this we'd be doing family things and she'll say well let's just have a, a late afternoon snack and then we don't need dinner And my response is usually, I mean, we can have a snack, that sounds good, but I'm still going to need dinner, otherwise 7, 7.30, I'm going to get real hangry, and I will not be pleasant for the rest of the evening. If you're just a a spiritual snacker, you're not going to be fully satisfied in Christ, and you're always going to feel like something is missing, because it is and the metaphor is is probably getting a little bit out of hand and absurd at this point, but you need spiritual protein. That's Christ and his word sat down to enjoy in a full, prepared way. By all means, while you are going places, go there with Christ. Do things in the car. Do things during the day, but have a daily meal where Jesus is your food. Have a time where it's not a quick hit, it's not a sugary snack, it's a balanced meal. Read the word of God in the Bible. Pray, ask for insight and illumination from the Holy Spirit and glorify the Father as Christ glorified the Father in his life and in his death. That's the deeper dimension of what Jesus is saying here. I have other food. And my food, my, susten- my sustenance, what nourishes me, what gets me filled up is doing the will of the Father. Father. May it be so for us as well. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.